Hi, I'm Sage. I'm here with Adam. And for this, our 13th question, what game would you use for The Matrix? So we're talking Matrix 1, or are, we, or are you going to really push? Uh, I wasn't really going to push for 2 and 3. Uh, I, I, I have mixed feelings on them, uh, because I, I always object to the people who take any trilogy or set of trilogies and tell you that there's only fewer of them because they don't like the others. I, I think that if they had stopped after 1, uh, nobody would be upset. Yes. Like, it's not... I don't think we needed... Two and three, and I rewatched two and three a while ago, and absolutely hated them. Like I agree that they, I, I don't like them very much. I just dislike the kind of. It's like the people who are just oh, there's only three Star Wars movies, sure. or it, it just rubs me the wrong way. So. I, have, I have a very explicit order in which you watch the Star Wars movies, but it does include the first three. Which is your order? Uh, you four, five, one, two, three, six. Interesting. Um, and if you have the animated series, it's after three. Okay. Um, uh, do you do actual one two three or the phantom edit of one two three? Have you heard oh of this? Oh man, I I would do the edit. Yes, I have heard of this. Okay, I would do the edit if I could get it in a format that I felt was as good as my. That's the big problem. But when Disney re-releases, because they're doing this right, yeah. D- when Disney re-releases the Han shoots first versions, I'm never looking back. <laughs> So, yeah, the Phantom Edit is a fan edit that takes one, two, and three and smashes them down into the length of one movie, basically. Uh, my favorite part being that episode one of Star Wars becomes the intro crawl and the f- one fight scene. Nice. And that's the entirety of episode one. Anyway, that is not The Matrix. That is an entirely different... <laughs> Star Wars The Matrix. Star Wars The Matrix. Yes, Matrix number one uh, is 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 the a beautiful thing. And I think... There's a lot of really interesting pieces to the Matrix, and and talking about you know what game would you use to play the Matrix? I think um, we're not talking. Well, I'm not talking about playing that story specifically, yeah. or even necessarily playing those characters, yep. but more like playing with those kind of themes and maybe in that kind of world. Uh, it's got a bunch of cosmic horror in in those themes, right? Oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's which, actually interesting. Which is great, and then the idea that you are, um, I mean. You could play it fully in the Matrix. Like, mm-hmm. the outside the Matrix stuff, you never actually play in-game. You could play everything in the Matrix, at which point you get to the superhero, almost, genre. Yeah. Um, well, I think, that now that you've mentioned cosmic horror, I could almost see playing characters who know they're in the Matrix but don't have the like ability to jack out or whatever. Right. In that case, it becomes this horrible <clears throat> kind of existential dark cosmic prison uh, because then you probably don't get the superpowers and stuff that's right Um, and it's also kind of a heist game right because you you live normal life outside of the matrix and you plan this big plan and then bam you go through the heist in the matrix and then you get out as fast as you possibly can that's interesting because those are all completely different than the things that I wrote down for things that stood out in the matrix for me nice Uh, for me the the key kind of genres, there's uh, the super stylish action, which I think is more than anything what floats that movie. Bullet time. Bullet sure. time, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's... And you see it throughout the rest of the Wachowskis' work. They often kind of... The plots are... Yeah. They're super graphic novel inspired. Yes. Uh, I think that's that's the big thing, right? Um, we, see, we see it done, I think, honestly. Uh, so the first Matrix did it really, really well. 
But I think Mad Max also is very, very similar in Mm -hmm. feel, right? Totally started from, you know, what are the images that you want to see on screen at any given time? Which makes it, you know, feel kind of like the comic book question uh, from your... From your wish, yes. right? How, how do you do something where the medium really, really wants you to be super visual? Yeah, so much of, if you want to do the Matrix, you you need a game, or for certain parts of the Matrix, for like the action scenes, so much of that is in the style of the action scenes, uh, that there's some brilliant pacing and stuff there, but uh, the thing that really stands out versus any other movie is some of the visual effects and the ideas that they put there. Mm-hmm. Um Another major element, uh, I, I debated what to call this, and what I ended up with is navel gazing. Like it, it has the philosophical. The stuff. philosophical stuff has not held up well for me. Let's put it that way. Uh, partially because when I first saw it in high school or so, it seemed so mind blowing <laughs> and like deep and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and growing up since then, it does not seem quite as much those things. Uh, to the point that I kind of watch it, and the, you know, the kid says there is no spoon, and I just roll my eyes. Uh, <laughs> it's it's it hits various philosophical topics that are not immediately applicable. Mm-hmm. I guess like there's there's a ton of philosophy that has to do with you know how you actually think and what does what do things actually mean, and the philosophical kind of. Uh, cul-de-sacs you go down where you think about, well, what if the color I see is not the color you see? You know, yeah, I mean, kind of can be fun to talk about, but it's not... It, it's not, uh... Not not to go into the what's really art discussion, but uh, it, it's not the kind of game I want to play. It's not the kind of game that I want to play, and so my, my suggestions all skew away from some of that, which... For me, the first few times that I saw it was actually a huge part of why it clicked. Uh, it's it's one of those movies, and some of the other ones have held up better. Like uh, Inception has some similar kind of yeah, for sure branching into phil- uh, philosophy, but it holds at least so far. It hasn't had as much time to age, but I still like that better than looking back at uh, the Matrix. Uh, I, I think cul-de-sacs is a good term for it. So many of those things are these little kind of. Isn't it crazy that we could all be living in an imaginary world, but it it doesn't go anywhere? Right. It's 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 a yeah. It, I think it's a I think it's a wasted thought. But I mean, uh, maybe I just have not had the correct philosophical discussion. Uh, so if you would like to have deep philosophical discussion with myself, you know, maybe I'm Twitter. It'll be great. What's your, yeah, what's your number? 140 characters at a time. 140 character philosophical thought is is. The sign of the times. So uh, I'll start with a, a very runner-up. Okay. Um, th- this is a weird runner-up because I feel... Uh, when I tried to sum up what The Matrix was when I first watched it, it was a fresh take on m- mostly established ideas in a lot of ways. Um, like, those, those fight scenes are building on especially a lot of... Uh, Hong Kong action films and the style is building on uh, some of the American kind of dark 90s stuff Uh, so my really weird the thing that ended up coming to mind was the game 13th Age uh, because I feel like the the 13th Age is to D&D as the Matrix is to a lot of movies that came before it it takes these uh, so the 13th Age is a 
D twenty based game, I guess technically. Uh, mm-hmm. It it it's a descendant of D and D, mostly in the third and fourth ed time frame. Um, and it's by is, is it, it Rob Heinzu? Rob Heinzu and Jonathan Tweet. Yeah, former so, Wizards employees and D and D from people. those two editions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it builds on a lot of those ideas and. Uh, partially, I think, by the fact that they were working without having to have the D&D brand in mind, it does a lot of... It, it's kind of a new perspective on those, which is kind of what The Matrix is in some ways. It's a new perspective that hit at the right time with the right production values to take some existing things and make them feel fresh and new and very, like, of the moment. Uh, there, there's something super... I guess it was early 2000s or late 90s whenever it came out, but the... It, it encapsulates that time in a lot of ways for me. I thought Thirteenth Age was much more recent than. Oh, sorry, I was saying The Matrix. Oh, okay. Uh, it's like, it's like, hold on. No, Thirteenth Age is uh, about two years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Matrix was '99, I believe. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah, my my runner-ups and number threes and big cluster of that is all of the games where you do stunting. Mm-hmm. All of the RPGs where you have stunting. So, um, I don't know if. Feng Shui does this. Uh, I'm, I still need to read through that book, but the uh, um, Exalted series of games mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff, where kind of really the purpose of the game is to come up with the most insane thing that you could do at any one moment. Um, and I mean, these games do that really well. And so the the moments of of the Matrix where you have you know the shootout at the on the bottom floor or uh, Trinity jumping through the window type of stuff. All of those things are full-on stunt roles yep. in these systems, and I think that's as close as we're going to come to painting those kind of visual pictures mm-hmm. in most games. Um, but but that's the that's the that's the least important part of the Matrix to me. Mm-hmm. I guess it's the most visible. And the, the most surface level, but it's the least important part. So, this is funny. I'll, I'll spoil my number one choice because you've already mentioned it. Ah! Uh, for me, actually, I was thinking that having a... If you could get that kind of action going, that would be close enough to the Matrix for me. So, uh, Feng Shui was actually my number one pick. Oh, good. See, um, I, it's, it's, it's hanging out at number three primarily because I haven't had a chance to play it. So, uh, I have not played the new edition that is coming out? I believe they have It's not. out. The PDFs exist. Oh, yes. People have got the PDFs. Unfortunately, I, I have the PDFs. It. Oh, no. Oh, what's wrong with you? I know. I know. I'm bad at backing things on Kickstarter. But you've played the original? I, I've played uh, an earlier edition, yeah. Um, so... But, the, well, so let's pause. We will recover to Feng Shui. Okay, yeah. When we we'll we'll save one. that one later. That's totally sure. cool. Uh, well, I'm glad that my, my instincts about the first read-through were, were relatively correct. Yeah. That's good. What's your number three? Uh, my number three is Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah, full on the get the stunting rules again, right? Uh, that to a degree, but actually a lot of the presentation. Uh, mm-hmm. So Vampire is one of uh, we actually haven't talked about Vampire much. Vampire is because I I so I played uh, you know to to digress a small amount. I was mm-hmm. at Go Play Northwest last weekend. Gosh, it's been a fast week, uh, and I played uh, Undying with Paul Riddle and company. Uh, over that weekend, and I never played any of the vampire games. Oh, interesting. So, like, I have zero 
vampire background. I never read any of the vampire books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not read or seen Twilight. Like I have, I have no one way or the other vampire stuff. But uh, Undying was amazing. So it's a great uh, game, totally worth it. But uh, yeah, so Vampire. Hopefully, the it'll still be on Kickstarter by the time that you I think see it's, this. I think it's got another. Well, it's got another week, but we are recording, we're recording pretty early. early. So uh, maybe we'll we'll hype it a little. If further. you didn't back it, go find it. You're going to regret it because he's only offering uh, the hardcovers through the Kickstarter. They will never be available again. Yeah, but the game is still good. The game is still good, but you won't have the super fancy. Uh, I got to see some of the stock that they're going to use for the super fancy uh, hardcover, and it it is such nice stock that my first response was actually, are you sure you want this to be every page? Because it's just that nice. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm stealing some of those ideas from from my Exile game. Yeah. So, uh, so Vampire is one of the, in some ways, kind of canonical role-playing games. It, oh, yeah. It's uh, one of the biggest game, or was one of the biggest. It's definitely declined some, but it still has, uh, each time they come up with new stuff, now they're going through Kickstarter, and they have some of the hugest RPG Kickstarter campaigns. Yeah, and I think, I think among RPG, like, really old-school RPG people, you have really two big camps of people. There's the D&D camp, and there's the... Masquerade the Vampire Camp. And those are like the sources. When you talk to people that haven't played RPGs, uh, more recently printed stuff, when you talk to people that got into RPGs in the 80s and the early 90s, they're almost always, I played D&D or I played Vampire. Yeah, I would say that those are very often intro points. Um, Which is why I'm sad that I haven't played Vampire. Yeah, maybe we'll have to do that. Because it's got... So, some of the key things about it is that uh, if you've seen the... um, Underworld movies. Uh, there, there was actually a lawsuit because they were so close to <laughs> Vampire. Because um, there, there are associated other games, werewolf and stuff that let you play other supernatural beings. But Vampire is one of the, the biggest ones. Uh, and basically, you're a vampire. Guess what? Uh, and you do vampire-y things. This has always kind of been the weak point of the game, is it it invests really heavily in telling you what it is to be a vampire and how, like, there's... It's this horrible state of inhumanity where you have to prey on others, but you also have this power, and you're stuck between humanity and monster. Um, But it kind of doesn't often give you a great way to start playing with that. Uh, You you kind of read all this stuff and you're like, it's kind of like Continuum when we talked about that a while ago. You read it and you're like, oh, wow, I want to be this this supernatural being who's torn between humanity and monster and has to feed on others. And uh, and then you start playing and most games end up veering and either dying pretty early on because you never get anything started or becoming trench coat superheroes which is basically what uh, a way to look at the Matrix yeah totally yeah about a a little less than a decade ago I got I read Mage the Awakening Mm -hmm. because you know I the only group that I had was D&D and so I was looking at all these other things and the the Mage the Awakening feeling that you get from reading in that is very similar right yep I really want to play in this setting, but where are where's the support? Yep. So. I, and I was going to mention Mage actually as a runner-up because Mage, uh, the the actual mechanics of the game is that you're magicians in a, the the same kind of underworldy 
shared world between all these games. So there's vampires and werewolves and everything running around, and you're a mage, and you can kind of modify reality, mm-hmm. which starts to sound like the Matrix. And some ways yeah. the mechanics are closer to the Matrix, but the tone mm-hmm. is always uh, veers more towards the philosophical side of the Matrix that I don't like quite as much. Sure. Whereas vampire veers into the like, I'm a superhero, and I'm going to fly through the air and tear somebody's spine out and. Uh, <laughs> Mage has a bit of the problem that the Matrix does, honestly, that you, you give your characters the ability to modify reality, and what they decide to do is guns. Yeah. Uh, it's the problem that the Green Lantern movie had. You give somebody a, a ring that can make whatever they think, and they make guns. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of a letdown. Yeah. Creativity. Unbounded creativity is a hard thing to deal with, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so for me, the real points for it are the, the style and the tone as played. The, yeah. Especially for my group, it always very much became the trench coat superheroes kind of thing. Um, the, the points off, the mechanics have never been great. So how, how does the game work? Like, I've, the, I haven't played. The game, um, is, so it's... Uh, I, for many people, it's the introduction to dice pool systems, and I'm tempted to say that it's one of the earlier ones, but it's probably not. Um, you have uh, everything is measured in dots, and okay. so you have up to five dots in most things. Um, and based on the number of dots, you get a whole bunch of ten sided dice, and you roll them, and you, uh, based on how hard it is, you're looking for certain numbers. Um, the thing is, th- this was always one of the major problems in the game is written uh, through several editions of it um, tens were always successes and ones were always uh, like critical failures that could cancel things out mm-hmm. so adding more dice actually had both an upside and a downside like having more dots in something wasn't that it, it had more of a downside than maybe you wanted it to so have you played Exalted? I have not played Exalted it, it's I believe built on some of the same stuff though it's it's you know it's a die pool system with d10s yeah. and dots but um, so they were definitely inspired by it, but I'm curious. I'm curious how close they are. Um, Exalted's big thing is uh, how crazy can you get mm-hmm. with with this particular system? And I've heard that Vampire, like, it's really you don't, you know, what is it? I guess the stereotype of the Vampire player is that you're not rolling dice anyways. It's all yeah. politics. It's all politics. Is that? That uh, that that's a stereotype. So that's the thing. There there are many ways to play vampire because it doesn't give you much to do. So people found multiple things to do with it. Um, for me and my type of gaming and why it comes up with the Matrix, that was trench coat superheroes. But there's also the very political game where if you had a group of players who are invested enough in that and a GM could, who could set it all up, you could basically start uh, not worrying too much about rolling your dice and just the political maneuvering of like, okay, if I you know, I need this much, uh, I need to be able to feed off this many people, or I need a bunch of blood for a ritual or something. But uh, the one of the higher-ranking vampires, that's his territory. And if I take that, it'll be a problem. But if I can blame the other person, then they're going to... And you do all this uh, political maneuvering, which is basically what Undying does really well. Um, it, it takes the non-Trenchcoat superhero and just makes the, the game for that. Yeah. Um, I... Oh man, it was great. And Diane has some really cool stuff. Uh, but it, it builds into that whole. It, it actually gets rid of dice. It's a diceless game based on Apocalypse World, um, partially because it's going for that style of play where the mechanics matter and that they're telling you how to. what things ma- uh, what things matter in the game world and kind of your restrictions for like, oh, I need this 
I need a to make a person a thrall. I need to do these things, um, but you're rarely rolling the dice to to get those things done. Yeah. So like vampire masquerade as trench coat superheroes, um, you know, it's it's a very small setting hack yes. to play to play that in the Matrix, which is leads to my number two, which is Blades in the Dark. Uh, uh, I thought when you said heist, you might be going for that. Uh, so for Blades. I feel like the so you you have to you can't play it straight. No. Um, but I think for Blades, what you do is you have your base of operations be you know essentially the Nebuchadnezzar or whatever kind of out of out of game ship, and then you do all of your plotting and your planning and you're figuring things out and you're you drop into the matrix to find out information and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then at some point you do your heist, which drops you in and the agents can show up and all of this insane stuff can happen and you're trying to free people from the matrix and all that kind of stuff. But I think it would be a super small hack. I think that would be a pretty small hack. That that would be pretty workable. Um, so Blades in the Dark is a game by John Harper, uh, finished up on Kickstarter but hasn't delivered yet, uh, which is heists, basically. That, that's uh, it, It's being a criminal organization in, in general, but kind of the killer app, maybe, is heists. Yeah, and I think that the biggest pieces of hack is that, I mean, Blades is pretty heavily... Um, built around this setting of Duskwall and has a ton of that theme just all through the book and stuff. Um, You'd have to change a bunch of the language and you'd have to change a bunch of the classes and and figure out how to power them slightly differently and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, But if you were teaching people that didn't know anything about Blades, and you could probably do a lot of that on the fly. Yeah, you could do a fair amount of it on the fly. I, I think that it's easy... This is one of those really tough things to measure is how much the presentation skews it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in this case, it might be tough. Like I, I feel like if you're if you're John Harper and you can whip up a new set of character sheets based on this in a few days, uh, it, it isn't like a deep hack. You don't have to rethink the design. But I do think you to really have it click, you'd want to redo the presentation. Oh yeah, Matrixy. But like if you were doing a con one shot. Right? Yeah. If you were doing a con one shot, you sit down and you give your pitch. You're like, we're going to play The Matrix. Mm-hmm. And you don't, like, the people that would respond to that pitch would know enough about The Matrix that you don't really have to do too much. Yep. You say, you know, ignore ignore the words. This is the gist of how we're going to do this thing. Go. Yep. Uh, and there's, a, there's just so much setting already in people's heads about this. Yeah. Like, uh, Blades has this huge amount of language devoted to... Um, pushing out exactly how the world uh, kind of interacts with the characters and, and where the motivations are and what the what things are lacking and stuff. But it has to because it's building this world from scratch. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Matrix hack is like, nope, you nope. know the Matrix. It's Don't an agent. That's yep. all I have to say, right? So it's funny that you mentioned being pitched this at a con with somebody's hack of the game because I, at my college gaming club, one of the few times I went, had that exact pitch <laughs> uh, from somebody's D20 modern hack of oh, man. The Matrix um, where their their big hack of the system to do the kind of super heroics is that every all of the, whatever you call them, awakened people who, who know what's going on and have learned Kung Fu or whatever... Um, all of you get a, a pool of points that you can allocate on the fly between your stats to raise them and lower them as, you know, a whatever action to... It, it doesn't really do a lot to actually help that stuff, but my favorite moment was when the guy who designed it says, oh, and I figured out how to handle Neo. 
Um, he doesn't have a pool of points like this. He has the one point. And the one point just... Uh, I forget how he said it worked. So let's, but basically, yeah. Let's talk about game design for a minute. <laughs> um, because, because it's really interesting thinking about systems and how they produce the kind of effects you want to produce. Um, because this that guy was obviously thinking that the end effect that you want to produce is somebody can fly through the air and then kick an agent in the yep. face, right? Um, but really, that's not... I don't feel like that's the effect you really care about. Like, that's the second order effect. Yeah. The first order effect is you want to make the people playing the, the game feel like they can push the bounds of reality. Yep. And then you also want to make them totally freak out when an agent shows up. Yes. And, and that... Spending points does not do that, no. right? Spending points does not push the bounds of reality, and spending points does not make you freak out for the agent. If the agent shows up, like, you're hoarding points so that when the agent shows up, you dump them into the I shoot the agent in the face move. Yeah, well, and it, it was like a pool of points that you could pull in, and you always had the same pool, basically. You just kind of allocated them, and then it was whatever, a minor action or something to pull in. It was... This is the hard thing about D20, too, and uh, simulation uh, general games that are kind of focused on uh, how can we do things so that the probability feels like what it would be in, you know, massive scare quotes, real life, uh, is that when you're doing something that kind of is much more fiction-driven and not simulation-y, uh, it's very hard to make those systems produce that kind of feeling. Yes. Um, well, and it, it leads to the basically the problem that he had... Uh, because I'm pretty sure his process was to say, oh, D20 Modern, I'm going to start there because it will give me the stats for the normal people. Right. Um, but then you look at, it, it has all these guidelines for how tough is it to jump up to the third floor of a building. And you're like, oh, okay, it's got to be that tough, which means that for my characters to be able to do that, they have to be able to bump their strength up to whatever massive value. Right. Because it's all, it's a kind of a linearly scaling game. Like you, you but have in, to... Yeah. But in the Matrix, like their abilities are lateral mm-hmm. to normal stuff. It's not like it's not like they're you know physically jumping up the building. It's that they're cheating the rules of existence to yep. get up the building. Um, and then the important thing about that is that there are things that if you just have points that you can improve your stats or buy skills or whatever with, um, then that means that you can effectively do anything. But that's not true in the Matrix. There are certain things that are just abnormally difficult to do that you wouldn't think would be difficult. There's a lot of weird rules if you try and break down what the people in the Matrix can actually do. Right. That's part of where the gun thing comes from. Apparently, you can make up things from nowhere and bring them in, but they still have to be things that would normally exist, kind of. You can't just be like, oh, well, it's all made up anyway. I have the gun that uh, never misses. This is, why, this is why D20 is so hard to, to do with this, right? Because it makes you feel like you have to stat up those things. Yes. Um, but if you're going to play The Matrix, then you can just put all of that, take all of that from people's heads. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you shouldn't have to stat those things up. Somebody's head should just say, well, I guess I have got a gun. Yep. And it's always loaded because that's how The Matrix works. Yep. Um, well, and the relying on how much people know it, like you said, yeah. uh, the, the system in some ways... Most of the things that I came up with 
uh, as far as games, what they can contribute is less in reminding you how the Matrix works because it doesn't really work consistently. It's all in our heads. Right. Uh, like it, It's more important that it's a system that uh, gives just enough of kind of the the hints at how to do cool things. And um, for my number two choice, which will... Did we... No, do you... Yeah, yeah mine was... Uh, my oh, yeah, you did kind of the class. Oh, yeah, we did your number two, so it is me. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, so my number two is Fate. Nice. Um, that was on my short list. So my main reason for Fate is something that is kind of woven through all three films as a bit of a, a thread of kind of conflicting allegiances. There's a lot... It's not exactly allegiances, but there's a lot of characters who are torn between the best thing to do for humanity or somebody else and the best thing to do for themselves. Uh, and the, the movies basically say that the good guys are the ones who don't choose themselves. Because uh, you've got... Oh, what's his name? The... Uh, Mouse? Is that the one who... Ends up going for uh, going for the agent's offer anyway. The, the traitor, the traitor um, is Cipher. Cipher, yes. Mouse is the other the one because who never really does anything. Mouse yeah. is obviously a good person. Exactly, Mouse. Mouse. Yeah, um, Cipher. Wachowski brothers. <laughs> <laughs> that deep philosophy there. <laughs> Mouse and Cipher yeah. and Neo, which is an anagram of one. Um, but the I think the the thing that fate kind of plays on there is that you get to really spell out these are the things that matter for my character and we're going to harp on those and then we're going to use some systems to say cool things that we do. We're going to have action scenes uh, that very much follow kind of the Matrix and Spielberg model of really clearly setting up like here's a thing that can fall over on somebody right? and then it's going to fall over on somebody in a future beat. The great thing about using fate for uh, kind of emulating pop culture is that the aspects are so much easier to name. Yes. Uh, you just name them lines from the movie or various things that people say about the movie. And coming up with aspects from nothing is way harder than being like guns. Yep. With lots of guns. And that's your aspect. I right? know Kung Fu. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and the aspects is kind of where... Uh, with compels, where I can see the the because some of the second and third have kind of these co- uh, this kind of running thing of how much does Trinity and Neo like how do the, is she willing to sacrifice for him? How much does she believe in him? And putting in the kind of like uh, an aspect of like uh, I have to find out if he's the one or something like that that totally spells that out and makes it a thing that you both use in conflicts like you have the scene where whatever you cover his back even though he might not need it uh, and then also setting up those those conflicts and you could play the cipher who has the like I uh, it was better in the matrix or something and yeah no uh, this tastes like steak exactly yeah. this tastes like steak uh, that, that's the that's that's the that's the big thing about like fate fate works really really well um, when the shared kind of space, the shared fictional space, is everybody all understands at the same time. Yes. Um, The farther you move away from pretty common styles of fiction or really solid pop culture, the harder and harder it is to do aspects that everybody really understands what they mean. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of the worst failing of fate is bringing a new player into a game. It's tough. Uh, Because 
you know, you've got these aspects and everybody knows what they mean through, you know, sessions and sessions of play. And, you know, during the time when it was added to your character, it was this huge moment and everybody that was there mm -hmm. sees it and remembers the huge moment. But a new player comes in and sees your thing and says, uh, I never draw my sword as an aspect. And yep. they go, what? And the other players are like, no, you had to be there, man. <laughs> um, yeah. It's funny how, uh, so aspects you mentioned from Burning Wheel, um, moves in... Dungeon World especially, but Apocalypse World as well, having names and descriptions on things oh, yeah. uh, makes a huge <clears throat> difference in how memorable even the system itself is. Like yeah. the, Apocalypse World and Dungeon World have a lot of things where people will reference moves, like an arresting Skinner. People remember that move partially because it, it's powerful and awesome, but also because it has a name that you hang on it. It's right. not just uh, you know a feat with a... It's not just... Um, spring attack or something. It it says something. It has that name. Uh, they're kind of like lines from the imaginary movie of yeah Apocalypse. names. Names are so gigantically. And, and you've seen this uh, designing board games uh, yes. or card games and the or you know tabletop non role playing <laughs> games, whatever you call that thing. Uh, so complicated. When you. So Adam has been making this game. I've played it several times, to say the least. Uh, <laughs> and the, it has a deck of cards, and the cards have different effects. And the difference once those cards have names that are thematic and in the world, the, the, most of the cards, every one of the cards, has had its effects changed so many times. But there's still some of them that are memorably known among the players just for having that name, yeah. uh, just like the lines from the movie. And like that's why Fate works so well for Indiana Jones or something. You can do the, uh, it had to be snakes as an aspect. Yeah, exactly. And you're, you, you've got it. It's right there. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's the best thing about Fate. Yeah, I, I love, I love Fate. That's why I didn't end up my short, on my short list and not my top list, though, because I was like, well, I, you know, I, Fate, you can do Fate for almost any, how would, what game would be best for X pop culture property, right? But I think the big difference for, for, the Matrix is that Fate does um, action scenes based on characters. Totally. And it really also well. does bend the rules of reality really well. Yes. Because um, so, yeah. it doesn't really... The, there's not a thing in there that tells you how far you can jump so that you have to modify that so you can jump three stories or whatever. Right. You don't have um, to stat anything really out. You don't have to really stat anything out. You can just kind of say, like, these are kind of our ground rules of what you can say... Uh, you can do with a role, mm -hmm. and uh, we all kind of agree that oh yeah, you can totally say that you bend backwards and slow down time, and all the bullets miss you. Yeah, that, that's that's within the. That sounds cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that's, that's that's definitely the way to play fate. So you were saying that feng shui was your number. one. That is my number one. Talk about feng shui. I've not I've not played it. I've only read it. Mm -hmm. It sounds awesome. So it it's kind of the. Kung Fu action movie game. Uh, that's that's kind of the easiest way to describe it. Uh, it's very much focused on making or helping you say cool things, um, especially in fight scenes, basically. Uh, there's lots of little things there that both help you see interesting things you could do, like, oh, I'm going to uh, flip over the guy and... While, once he's behind me, I flip him over and body slam him or whatever because you you can see kind of how the dice add up for that. Um, 
one of the things, at least in older editions, I have no idea if this is in the the current one, is you could basically get a bonus for describing your action really well. Um, which is both really cool because it plays into this whole thing that we're talking about. Like for the Matrix, you, you have to paint a picture with words of... Uh, isn't it so cool when we both fly through the air with our guns, <laughs> like, firing at each other in slow motion? We miss a couple of times, and then you can't see my gun, and I can't see yours, but we know they're empty. Yep. Uh, and you we, you have to say that stuff, but once it's uh, part of the game, the, the thing that we always ran into is the fatigue of always one-upping the coolness. And Fate right. actually often has this problem for me as well. You get into a series of action, and the... Uh, some people call it the rule of cool, um, starts kicking in, and you just want everything to be cool. And you, you never have the, like, oh, you know, your your shot goes wide uh, and just kind of gloss over it. Like, we, we keep on piling on the description and piling it on and piling it on. And the, it, you get cool fatigue. It gets cool fatigue. It gets talking fatigue, honestly. Yeah. Uh, you, you can't just do... Well, you can, but it's uh, it's encouraging you so much to go for these cool descriptions of how you spin around and stuff, which on the screen takes all of a few seconds to see, right. but at the table you spend like a minute describing it, uh, that you you miss out on the thing that a lot of games, even Dungeon World and Apocalypse World, you just say like, no, I shoot him. Like that, you can just say that, it can still trigger a move. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I I think... I, would, I really want to see that in play. I, I Well, now that I know that you have the new edition, maybe I'll borrow your copy, uh, and then we can play it together sometime. Well, I, you can borrow... Like, I only have the PDFs so far. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll borrow your PDFs. We'll make sure they are not open in two places at once. Yeah, there you go. Oh, man. Uh, don't don't get me started. So so I was talking about Cosmic Horror when we when we launched, mm-hmm. and I was searching and searching for a game that I felt could do Matrix style horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, the horror. So this would be the game of the Matrix where uh, you are coming in to rescue people and pull people out of the Matrix, and the agents are looking for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that game is dread. Uh, Every game is dread to you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I want I wanted it to be a Call of Cthulhu style game mm-hmm. uh, because I think that Call of Cthulhu would work really well for this person is slowly realizing that this world is not actually a yeah. real world. When, when right? you talked about the cosmic horror, I thought you were talking about people who don't have the option of getting back out, basically. Yeah, but but you know, it's really there's a ton of horror stuff that's. You somebody that you just saw could turn into one of these things, mm-hmm. or um, you know, all of the people on the street could be one of these things, or th- somebody outside of the matrix could destroy your ship and you could just be gone. Yeah, a kind of this you have a tenuous grip on reality type of thing. Oh, this description. I now have two more games that I have to add to my list. Oh, well, uh, go for it. Go well, for no, it. sorry. I don't mean uh, just so that I, <laughs> you'll prompt me for them later so I can get back to them. Oh, so I, I like your dread idea. Have you ever heard of um, some people talked about the? Uh, I'm never. I'm not sure if anybody ever ran it, but uh, the idea of Inception dread. <laughs> Dreadception. Dreadception. So you start out with uh, dread. By now, our listeners must know is the Jenga Tower game, <laughs> um, and so in Inception. 
dread. You start out with one tower, and then whenever you go deeper, you set up another Jenga tower while leaving the first one still standing. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. Uh, on the same table, ideally, so they can still kind of jostle each other. Right. Uh, and then the dream is collapsing, and they, they fall down and everything. That's, that's pretty uh, sweet. Because that, I can see where you're getting out of the Matrix there. Um, the I think that it's easy to forget, especially these years on, that agents were supposed to be these kind of implacable forces to be feared because I always think of them especially by the later movies they were kind of who cares yeah who cares? especially with the gigantic battle and one of these things goes back to kind of our discussion about Dune and Paul mm-hmm. like Paul is not an interesting character in play yeah so you're not going to play Neo so you're going to play one of the normal people who is should be horribly scared of agents mm-hmm. right and when you are horribly scared of agents there should be that moment in the Dread game where I'm going to get killed or I can knock the tower down and just keep the agent from killing everybody else, you know, sacrificing myself, right? Yep. And those are the more interesting moments in in that trilogy, I feel. Yeah. The moments where somebody's making a legitimate choice instead of, well, I know I can beat all of the agents, Yep. so okay, I'm just going to beat all of the agents. Did you ever see the, the video from the ending of the Matrix video game where uh, it's Huge. Um, I am I, not an extended universe person. Oh, uh, for for either Matrix. Well, I guess I've seen the Animatrix stuff, uh, but for Star Wars, for whatever. Yeah. So I've only seen it because it's so ridiculously bad. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to like your the Neo best kind you, of ridiculous. There's a giant Agent Smith made up of the city itself and smaller Agent Smiths. Um, and you have to fly through its head multiple times, I think, was how the animation went. Like, you had to beat it up a whole bunch. And then the, once the you boss get it fight? The boss fight? The final boss fight of oh the game. gosh. Yeah. Yeah, so, so you know, I, I am assuming when you were playing The Matrix that nobody is playing Neo. Yes. Uh, and if nobody's playing Neo, then you guys are going to get busted up if you meet a legitimate agent. Yep. And so... You know, it, it can still work with the Dread 3 ad structure, and the first act is you're, you know, getting into the Matrix and finding this person, mm-hmm. and the second act is you're slowly trying to convince them that what they're seeing is not real, and you're also trying to avoid kind of detection, and maybe one of the people back on the ship is gonna kill you all, and like, just all sorts you, of crazy You can stuff. have, uh, you could basically do the early parts of the Matrix from the point of view of everybody but Neo, where right. they try to get Neo, and then he ends up with the agents, and his mouth disappears, and all that stuff. Right. Uh, and you get to be the ones who bust in, and yeah. yeah. That, I think that's a surprisingly strong choice. Um, so once I started thinking about the Matrix, uh, so first of all, as far as scary games, uh, mm-hmm. the first thing that I could see actually kind of working is Geiger Counter. Um, which is Jonathan Walton's game. I think he got up to Gamma as far as his playtest releases. I've heard, I know some people, I think, stuck with Beta. They were like, no, Beta's the best ever. We're never changing. <laughs> um, but I'm sure you can still find it online somewhere. Uh, it's in the style of kind of spaceship horror movies to a degree. Um, but I could see it being the, the, the Matrix portion. Uh, there's a thing throughout kind of the Matrix filmography, or especially the first one, of buildings as places that are like you're, you're trapped like it's a very urban movie um, so they'll be rushing through a building and there's an agent somewhere and they like pop through the wall and all that stuff uh, and so if you treat it if 
somehow you ended up just playing those moments, like just knowing there's an agent in the building and you're trying to get out with the, the kid, I actually feel like Geiger Counter could be a really interesting way to approach that. Because it has kind of a mapping element where you're, you're finding out all the areas. Nice. Um, so I could totally see... It would stretch the Matrix a little bit. You'd kind of need, like, a phone booth in the middle of a building. Maybe a mall. That would be a weird, interesting way to... Anyway, you'd have to twist it a little bit, but you could have that element of, like, oh, crap, where's the agent? How are we going to get away? Oh, no, we lost the person we're trying to save. All that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there's a lot of really interesting places you could take it. You could also do... um, You are the people still in the ship while Mm -hmm. there are people in the Matrix doing stuff. And so there's, you know, some kind of a countdown clock that is they're trying to finish up this thing, and you have to keep the ship alive and deal with whatever else insanity is going on out there until they can get back. Yep. Um, there's a lot of really cool stuff that is not uh, superhero Neo is going crazy blowing up Agent Smith, right? Yep. Yeah. And so, so the, you had a second one. Yeah. The other one I have to mention is uh, because of kind of the jacking in element of it they'll like go to sleep kind of and go into another world uh, it's a bit more of the Inception style but uh, Lacuna by um, Jared Sorensen is uh, you're playing basically agents who go into kind of this shared dream construct to catch criminals basically um, nice and it that's practically right on yeah it's practically right on there it, it's presented very it's presented actually a lot like inception and it predates inception by five years at least yeah, I copyright think. uh can't be right inception inception no copyright inception oh. must have been in production for for years sure so. yeah, yeah. Um, I, but, I, but it's funny it's funny how kind of the zeitgeist hovers around ideas like that right oh yeah I'm, I'm not saying at all that inception actually copied it it's just interesting that, that this uh if you want something to be copied there's actually a don uh uncle scrooge comic that does Inception to a T. It's <laughs> amazing how accurate it is, complete with kind of the dream collapsing stuff. And uh, anyway, Lacuna has uh, one of the cool things is that basically your kind of hit points is your heart rate. Um, so you start out at human resting heart rate, mm-hmm. and if your heart rate gets too high, your heart gives out basically. Right. So you're being, uh, instead of it being kind of physical damage, it's you being stressed, and your physical body that's lying asleep somewhere is doing all the. And so it's kind of like in the Matrix where the you're the person outside, or we get the shots of Neo in the seat or whatever, and you see him like jerking around, and blood starts coming out of his nose and stuff totally. for no reason. Um, and it has that kind of adaptable reality element to it and everything. In, in a lot of ways, it's really close. It just doesn't have the... Uh, it's more Inception-like in that you're going into a dream world, not a real real world, in quotation marks. Thing. Yeah, it, it's, it doesn't look as real. That's a, that's a very fine line to make a distinction of. I think like it's that's... a fine line, but it depends on how the rules interact with how crazy do they let you go, kind of? Like, we were talking about guns earlier. Right. Uh, if we was something like Don't Rest Your Head, Don't Rest Your Head is another game with kind of going into a dream world um, in a, a different style, but it ha- it does dream world as, like, a crazy place of, like, the clockwork king and his candle men, uh, and that that isn't... Kind and the nightmare-y. rules support that in that right. they're letting you kind of uh, color scenes with emotions and stuff. And the Matrix, part of the the shtick 
is that it's two real worlds, basically. Like, the, the Matrix still has to appear real, and that's part of why the later movies kind of break down, because the, the Matrix is less and less real, basically. Right. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting place to go. Um, I think that the most common direction people would take it is probably feng shui, though. Yeah, because that's the like you watch the movie, you want to be in that world. You don't want to be in that world because of you know the horror of the agents. That just kind of supports the idea. And I feel like the things that most people remember, most of what that movie is remembered for is bullet time. Bullet time, basically, like for some amazing special effects, and that shouldn't be downplayed. Like it, no, it's <laughs> still a visual landmark, right? Um, it's it's just a huge piece of that movie. It's just you know you remember the initial bullet time shot of Trinity making that kick, which is insane and had never been done before, and it's like how how did they do that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the idea of the visual language is. Amazing, so which makes it such a challenge to turn into an RPG. Mm-hmm. I almost wonder if there's uh, space. So, so some RPGs like Polaris go into the space of having um, kind of ritual phrases. Ritual makes it sound very overstated, which Polaris no, is no, degree, like, like uh, ritual in that these specific words said at this specific time have this specific effect. I wonder if you can start to get some of that kind of visual landmarkiness by having, since RPGs are so much more verbal, by having verbal landmarks in the same way. As the bullet time It it doesn't quite do the same thing, especially for me, because I'm a very visual person, but I wonder if there's something there that you could do. You could... Well, there's a lot of pacing and scene structure in action movies in general that I think you could probably steal from. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... You know, you get the audio cue from the move, music speeding up in the background, and yep. you get the the camera positioning cue, right? Um, if the camera is positioned in a particular way so you can kind of see the people in the room and they're facing a particular way, or you get the, you know, in more modern movies, the Bourne camera mm-hmm. footage where it's the like... shaky cam. Yeah, yeah, you know, all of this stuff is just kind of cues to everybody sitting at the table... Uh, in a role-playing game, you know, how can you build those cues into that opening? Like, it's, you know, we do have ritualistic phrases it, for, for this initiative. kind of stuff. That's your, yeah, that's exactly. your start-the-fight cue. Yeah, role for initiative music. is the action music in the background, yeah. right? Though, actually, that reminds me of a thing that I wanted to bring up with 13th Age. You, you talked about the music continuing to accelerate through the fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, 13th Age has the escalation dice, mm-hmm. where um, each round of combat, uh, I forget whether it it starts in the first round at one or whether it starts in the second round at one. But anyway, you have a six-sided die that once it's in play, each turn gets moved up one and all of the player characters get to add that number to their rolls. Right. So that combat tends to... First of all, it kind of guarantees that you'll get somewhere, unlike uh, some D20 games where combat can just bog down. But it also has that effect of like... Oh, it's getting real, and uh, there's a few the big monsters, things like dragons and some, I think demons and stuff, right. get to use the escalation die as well. So then they're kind of the agent that you know, like you've got the. It's interesting because it's technically a visual cue sitting on the table, but it's the equivalent of that auditory cue of like the music keeps on getting louder. Just slam it on the table and say, "Look, you know, this is this is getting legit." Some of the 13th Age diehards use huge D6s oh, just man. so that they can like hit the table with it and everybody awesome. stares at it. And, yeah, I, uh, think, I think that's huge. I think the, that's the, the thing about feng shui is, is you can't 
you can't have the di- that die on the table all the time, right? You, you can't escalate forever. You have to escalate and then have an equivalent amount of time where you're just kind of breathing and then you go back into escalation mode. I think if you... Uh, do you know if... Is feng shui written so that you basically are doing this for every move? Or is it written so that you're doing supposed which. to... So that... So that you are just continuously in fight scene, and that the transition from fight to scene to fight scene is like almost instantaneous. No, there, there's some other stuff in there. Um, to be honest, but like you we, walk down the street to the convenience store, and you're like, and then I fly through the air in my amazing jump, so that I get the plus two and the bartering roll to the convenience. No, store. No, like we we always did uh, very much action movie style, um, where like h- hardcore action movie where. The stuff between is kind of just a how do we get to the next thing, and you might have you might have a few things that you do, but uh, there, there's a shift. It, it's one of those kind of games that shifts a lot in how it feels as soon as you get out of a combat situation, mm-hmm. um, which probably makes sense for an action movie. Like action movies shift dramatically when you go from action to not action, but it, it's similar to. Um, Oh, geez, I just watched Taken, which I'd never seen. But there's not much in that movie that, except for kind of the intro, which you, in a Feng Shui game, would probably kind of gloss over. Um, past that point, there's very few downtime scenes, except to kind of explain how we get to the next action scene. Yeah, and but that's kind of how we paced it. Well, you were talking earlier about, you know, how it takes so long to describe something that would take only a few seconds on screen. Yeah. So, like, I think it's probably. Um, there's more time taken explaining the action scenes than the video, the movie would show the action scenes. Yes. And then there's probably less time taken doing the intermediate scenes than the movie would take showing the intermediate yes. scenes. Yes. Uh, which really unbalances you. It really unbalances you, and it still ends up being longer mm-hmm. overall. Like the, the, the amount by which the fight scenes take longer is greater than the amount that you collapse the shorter scenes. Right. Um, so I've never quite had a game feel like a two-hour game was as much action as a two-hour movie. Well, uh, that's that's super hard, too, because, yes. I mean, we're we're improving and not editing. And, yeah. you know, those movies are not two hours before editing. Yes, so. they, they are much longer before editing. Yeah. Well, I mean, this kind of thing goes back to Undying, too, because the Undying action scene is the fight mechanic, which mm-hmm. is a simultaneous bid. And the bid is it happens, and you add, and that's the fight. Yep. And then the somebody decides who lives and who dies, and then everybody describes their death. Which means that the fight scene, you know, is this really short, brutal thing, um, and doesn't take very long to explain, because you're not going, okay, I make my move, and then you make your move, and mm-hmm. then he makes his move, and then she makes her move, and then, oh, and then she gets another move, and then, you know, and you go through this kind of chess game of the thing. It's just one shot, crazy stuff happens action movie. And it's interesting because of the bidding there it still feels more interesting than some games say like, oh, if you fight you just both roll or whatever and that determines who wins. Partially because of how the game works with these hidden bids, right. it feels so much bigger than, oh, we just rolled our dice and he rolled higher and I win because you're sitting there like uh, how much, especially for NPCs who you, you really have no idea how much they might be able to spend you're sitting there thinking, Okay, how how big is this? And then each person can kind of declare their side. Like, can I really trust you to be on my side? So, like, yeah. I feel like, but but that balance, that balance of 
really, really short, concentrated action scene is really the best place to go. I think that my favorite games all do that kind of thing, where they say most of the game is, you know, kind of talking about uh, how things are happening and, and, you know, bringing everything to a head, you know, going up that roller coaster. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then at some point, everything hits and it all happens at once, and then you go back to kind of this resting moment. Yeah, I I think I'd like to put a little more into action scenes than that. I think, especially if you're doing The Matrix, you, you pretty much have to. Well, um, you, you need you need the description and the visuals. I don't think yes. you need to spend an hour talking about action scene. No, probably not. It's an interesting balance. Yeah. Now I have to go play Feng Shui. So. Yeah, so we, we will have to play it. I still haven't played the new edition, which is going to be hilarious because people are going to be telling me that I'm wrong either because... I'm wrong. The new edition changes happened, everything. Or yeah. because the new edition changed everything. But but there we go. Uh, Feng Shui could either be the best or the the low tier of what you go for. <laughs> Fate, uh, Vampire, Blades in the Dark, and um, Dread. Mm-hmm. All sorts of insane, All kinds of awesome stuff. things. Tell us if you have a better one. We would love to play it. Yes. Sweet. Uh, people will probably tell me I'm wrong about Feng Shui because it's been quite a while. Well, I mean, if people aren't telling you you're wrong in general, yeah, uh, it's just, you know, you need somebody to make sure you're grounded, right? Yeah. Okay, well, until next time. <laughs>